So let's go and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you. We ask that you guide in what you would have us to learn from your word and that we will be with you and, 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 and the spirit will lead. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, as we continue our book of Ephesians, verse 2. And I'm going to read verse 2 and 3, but I am not sure that I'm going to get to verse 3. So we're going to go... Verse 2, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed you, us, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So this, this uh, reading is Paul's common greeting. Grace and peace to you. Now, we in Christian circles use these terms a lot. Do we truly know what they mean? You know, and I just want to throw that out. When we talk about grace, most of us, most of the world, when you say the word grace, they think of somebody with some charm and some, some ease of getting around. Uh, you know, or they think of what you say before you eat your deal, <laughs> your meal. Okay? And while those are both definitions of grace, that is not what is meant here. We have some acronyms that are used for, for grace. One of them is God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's a good meaning for grace as far as it goes. God's riches at Christ's expense. We get everything that God has, and Jesus paid the price. So it's a very good, but still shallow definition. But if that's all you knew about grace, you're ahead of a lot of Christians. And other people tell us that it's unmerited favor. I like the definition getting what we don't deserve <laughs> okay because it, we get everything that god has to give us you know, and it's pretty amazing when we think about grace god's grace what is it that we deserve well we deserve to go to hell yeah. now we're all sinners god doesn't grade on a curve he says that one sin is all it takes to send somebody to hell one sin Adam and Eve had one sin. They ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they were kicked out of paradise. One sin. And death entered the world. Can you imagine that before they committed that sin, there was no death. There was no disease. There weren't any of those wonderful thorns that we all have to fight with in the <laughs> desert. No. It was a perfect place. And when they sinned, it wasn't just Adam and Eve that died. The whole planet was changed instantly. Thorns and thistles, death, groaning, pain, disease. Most of us would love to have no diseases, wouldn't we? Yeah. You know, all the aches and pains that come with diseases, all the aches and pains that come with old age. You know, the problems with our, our hearing, our speech, our smell, our, our taste. All because of one sin. And God says, I've got grace for you. I've got grace. I am not giving you what you deserve. Why? Because Jesus paid the penalty. As far as God's concerned, there's only one question that he's concerned with. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to accept him in his sacrifice or reject him? When we accept him, 
we enter into verse 3, we receive all spiritual blessings. And we're, we get there, we're going to talk about just a few of the spiritual blessings. I won't have time to give all of them. But grace, grace is out there. God doesn't say, go pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get as good as you can, and then maybe I'll accept you. That's not his message to us. He says, come as we are. And how are we? Sinners. Sinners. Every one of us. Some, are, some by human standards are bigger than sinners than others. <laughs> but you know what? We're all sinners. Even those that you might think aren't that bad, they're sinners. I kind of jokingly say about this, you know, every one of us sins at least once a day. Probably once an hour. <laughs> yeah. And for those of us who are really bad, we're probably sinning once a minute. <laughs> You know, but this, as, even though I say that kind of jokingly, it is true. You know, we're t the scriptures tell us if anybody says he's without sin, they're lying. And the problem is they know they're a liar as well. Because we all sin. And the penalty for sin is death. Death both physically, and Adam and Eve died immediately spiritually when they ate of the fruit. Now it took them a little over nine. It took them over nine hundred years to die physically, but they were dying from the minute they ate the fruit. Every one of us is born into this world, dying. Isn't that depressing? <laughs> you know, the littlest baby born in this world is born in here, dying. Now they're going to grow up first. They're going to get bigger, but their body is dying and degenerating right from the beginning. And the older we get, the faster we degenerate and die. <laughs> physically. God is saying that was the penalty of death. Jesus paid for that debt. I love the song we sang that he, Jesus, is the victor over the grave. The grave could not hold him. He came back in a resurrected body and is still alive today. And the promise for those who believe in him as their Lord and Savior that he sacrificed is that we will get a glorified body and death has no victory over us. I love Paul who said, he says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's grace. Grace is getting all the rewards that we have. Think about this. Do you remember when you got saved, if you are saved, the peace that came into your life? The load of guilt lifted off of you and the peace that came to you? The definition of peace, I'm going to read it because I always get it wrong if I don't read it. But the definition in the New Testament for peace is the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Jesus and not fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot, whatever that is. That's peace. And it's pretty powerful. First, I have peace because I have no fear of the future because when I... When my body dies, I will be in heaven. That's great peace in and of itself. But when you're truly living in the spirit and the spirit has control of your life, real peace is that contentment that God is in control. God is in control. We were talking about this morning uh, when Nathan went to David with the prophecy that David was going to build the temple. He said, and when your days are fulfilled, do you realize that none of us, not a single one of us, will die until God has it planned? 
We will live as long as he has something for us to do. And it doesn't matter what we try to do to stop that. <laughs> now, we might accidentally meet the time, you know, if we're trying to do dangerous things to test this, we might accidentally find that our time is fulfilled. But it's not going to happen until God says, I'm done. And then once he says, I'm done, no matter what you try to do to extend it, it's not going to be of any good. We are in God's control. God knows the beginning from the end. He is in control. And he will be the one in charge. And this is, you know, this is something we as Christians should have great comfort in. The, and I've said this before, the word you will never hear from God say, say he'll never say, whoops, I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> we'll never hear that from him. You go, oh no, that, how did that happen to him? I didn't know that was going to happen. It's not something you're going to hear from him. He knows everything that's going to happen. He knows when it's going to happen. And he also knows why it happens. And you, that's important to understand that he knows why. Because Romans 8.28 says, For all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. And we may look at it and say, God, I have no idea. You know, you, God, I don't think you know what you're doing. This just cannot be for good. <laughs> and maybe you've been there. where you've been, Maybe you didn't say it online, but you were thinking it probably. You know, God, how can this be good? <laughs> I just don't see how it can. But it is. If we were in God's position, we would see it. And a phrase we talked about last year is God's plan is what we would choose if we knew everything like God does. <laughs> if we knew everything, we would choose God's plan. The problem is sometimes we fight against his plan because we don't know everything. We don't know what's happening 20 years from now or 10 years from now or even 20 minutes from now necessarily. And God says, I know what's there. I'm going to help you get there. I'm going to prepare you for it. Isn't it great that when you walk with God, he prepares you for greater steps? You, know, you look at somebody like Billy Graham preaching in front of millions of people. I can guarantee you when Billy Graham got saved, if he was said, I'm going to put you in front of millions of people, he probably would have freaked out like every other person who's told they're going to stand in front of a group. Now, there's very few people who like standing in front of groups. <laughs> and when I took my speech class, the very first thing they go, most people's number one fear, the thing that they fear is speaking in front of groups. And, and I know that for most people that is true. I've always been reversed. I, I don't mind speaking in front of groups. I just don't like speaking with one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> uh, you know, but that's the way I've always been. It was part of my defense about moving every couple of years and being the new person in school all the time. I just decided, well, the heck with this. I don't need people because I'm going to be gone next year anyway. Uh, so my defense mechanism was not to, not to develop the skills of talking in front of groups uh, of people one-on-one. -on -one. But God says, I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to prepare you for what I want you to do. And all of us would be scared. If God showed us what he's wanting us to do 10 years from now, we'd probably be scared to death and say, there's no way, God, I can't do that. But as he develops us and slowly brings us along, we learn. You know, now all you get people that so probably think this is crazy. I'm scared to death of sewing machines. I have no, no desire to ever use a sewing machine. Every time I get near a sewing machine, I picture myself running a sewing stitches right up my thumb. You get over it. You get over it. Yeah. That's what I've been told. You get over it. Yeah. And I say that because, you know, most people, when I say that, they laugh, just like you do. Well, how can you be afraid of such a silly thing? Well, it's something I've never learned to do, never desired to do, never cared to do. You know, but I use that as a point. 
you know, most of you wouldn't want to stand up here and talk even amongst 30 people. <laughs> Now, I have no problem with coming and standing in front of a group and talking because that's what God's helped me learn. And the thing that God's going to ask you to do, he's not going to go and tell you, I want you to do something that you're totally afraid of and would never do. He'll develop your skills. He'll just develop you for it. When we go on and we share the gospel, we start by sharing with our family, which is actually the hardest group to start with. Family's the hardest one to witness to because they go, well, I know you. I, you know, I know what you were before you got saved. I know, I know who you really are. You know, little hint, go talk to strangers. They're easier to give the gospel to. <laughs> Besides which, you'll never see them again for the most part. <laughs> you know, strangers are real easy. Some of you are never going to see. Give them the gospel. You mess it up, it's a big deal. You're not going to see them again anyway. They think you're a nut. That's fine. You're not going to see them again. You know, they're easy. Strangers are easy to give the gospel to. You know, when you're standing in line waiting to pay at Smith's or Walmart, have you ever shared the gospel with anybody or talked to them about Jesus? You know, you're probably not going to see him again anyway, so what, what difference would it matter what they think about you? But you share the gospel. You get to tell them, you know, and it's something simple. How do you get to heaven? Or where will you go when you die? Talk to them. See what they think. Most of the people you're going to meet believe that if they do more good than bad, they're going to get into heaven. They believe that God grades on a curve. You know, here's your good, here's your bad. Only problem is one bad weighs a, a gigaplex ton and all the good that you could ever possibly do is like putting feathers on the other scale. It will never even move the scale because sin, the wages of sin is death. That is why Jesus had to come to this world and die. He died so that we could be forgiven. He died because he knew we could not do it. He died so that we could accept that gift, the gift of salvation, and all that goes with that. And I am going to go ahead and look at this. And then it goes, that we may receive all spiritual blessings. Now, I'm not going to give all the spiritual blessings because we would be here. We just finished a 51-week a 51 course on part of the spiritual blessings. So, you know, if we, if we wanted to cover all the spiritual blessings, we'd be here until sometime in, after dark, so we're not going to do that. <laughs> Uh, if you would like to get a listing of all the spiritual blessings, at the top of the bulletin is the email address, pastor.chloridebaptistchurch.com. Send me that and request asking and I'll email it to you. Or if you want it and you don't have an email, put it on the slip of paper, put it in the box, and I'll print out a copy of it for you. But we went over 51 things that happened to us at the moment that we're saved. Did you realize that many things happened to you when you were saved? Yeah. We're just cover, cover a couple. We are justified. And justified is a great word. It means that God declares us perfect. He says it, it many people will say it, just as if I never sinned. Do you realize that's how God looks at you when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He looks at you as if you have never sinned. That to me is an amazing thought. Especially when I know how often I sin each day. And he looks at me and says, you're perfect. How would we react? What changes would he make in our life if we realized, number one, God sees me as perfect. He sees everybody in this room that's saved as perfect. What if I was to treat people that way? Not treat them after what I see. Not treat them after what I know that they do. But I treat them as what God says they are. Perfect. 
Do you realize that's why we as Christians can love one another? We have the love of God in us pouring out of us. And it's his love that we love people with, but why do we love them? Because we begin to see them the way God's seeing them. I don't want to see people's faults. I've had some people try to tell me, well, you need to talk to this person because this, is, this, this, and this is what they do. And I go, I don't want to hear that. I don't need to know that. Yeah. One thing I know about everybody, we're all sinners. <laughs> Am I surprised when a sinner sins? Absolutely not, because I know we're all sinners. Am I, say, am I surprised when a Christian sins? Absolutely not, because I know we're all sinners. It does not surprise me when a sinner sins. Now, what surprises me is, with, is when a sinner does good things and obeys God. Because that's God's gift. That's God's grace working through them. And we as Christians should have more of that surprise in, in our life than not. And when we talk about grace, we're not saying because you have grace and God's forgiven you, you can go out and do whatever you please. Technically, you can. But if you've got God in your heart and you go out and you sin, you're going to hear the Spirit kind of knocking at your door saying, uh, what do you think you're doing? God does not need us in the body to go after people and say, you're sinning. His Spirit does a great job of telling people when they sin. And if you're saved, you know this feeling. When you sin, there's this voice in your head saying, what do you think you're doing? Why are you doing this? It's bringing dishonor to my name. It is not what I want you to do. Yeah. Grace is a wonderful thing because God works in our, we give God room to work. I don't have to chase after people and say, hey, I saw what you did. You're, that's awful. You can't do that. That's a sin. No. I will say, God really loves you and he wants to be in fellowship with you. What's the last thing we want to do when we're sinning? Is be anywhere near God. <laughs> we don't even want to be around God's people. And this is why over the years I've watched people, as they start getting into sin, they've been going to church every week for, for years, and before long, they're wanting to live in sin, and usually you'll see them, they'll get further and further back in the church, then they won't even come in the church, and then they haven't been in church for months. <laughs> because they get convicted when they're around God's people. Doesn't, not that we speak it out, we just love them, we show God's love to them. Do you truly understand the power of God's love? Somebody who's being bad, doing bad things, and people come up and say, God loves you and so do I. Maybe you experienced this. The last thing you wanted to hear that anybody loved you because you know how bad you're, bad you're behaving. And all of a sudden it just floods into you that God really does love you and bring, wants to bring you back. God's love is powerful. In 1 John, we're told, they will know that you are my followers because of my love one for another. As we express love, as I said, I, I am not surprised when sinners sin, so I'm going to keep loving them. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me when somebody says something that hurts people or hurts me. It doesn't surprise me because we're sinners and I'm going to continue to love them as God loves them. And that love is going to win them over in the long run. Grace is the most powerful tool we have to see lives changed. If we try to put on a bunch of laws and rules and say, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do this, lives don't truly change. They might be able to discipline their life to fulfill those laws, 
but we've talked about it more often. Mostly what laws do is say, oh yeah, let me show you. Now, I freely admit, I'm one of those. If you give me a bunch of rules, you better give me a darn good reason why that rule has to be followed. Or my mind is going to say, well, watch me because I see no reason in this rule. And go break it. You know, because they don't see a reason for it. God gave 613 rules in the Old Testament. And those rules are there to show us that we can't keep all of his rules. Not that they're bad. They're good rules. They're, if you follow his 613 rules, it'll be good for you. Things will go better and you're, you won't hurt your body. You won't hurt other people. You, you won't go into debt. All these other things that you won't do. But it won't get to heaven either. Because all you got to do is break one of the 613 rules and you deserve punishment. The rules are there just to show us that we can't keep them. The other thing that he does when we get saved is he crucifies the flesh and he gives us a brand new spiritual being. We become a brand new spiritual being. And he takes that being and he dumps it into the Holy Spirit, which is called the baptism, and he sinks it into the Holy Spirit, and he changes us. He changes us from the evil, wicked sinner that we want to be to a spiritual being. Now that spiritual being takes time to change. It'll take all of our life to be sanctified and made perfect. And then we still won't be perfect when we die. But you know the great thing is, as soon as we die, God glorifies us. And he says, now you're, per now you're the perfect person I said you were from the beginning. Part of these blessings. He's made us part of his family. Have you ever thought about what it means to be the family of God? The king, the sovereign of the universe, <laughs> has all the wealth, all the power, says you're his child. <laughs> hey, when you were young, did you ever maybe wish to be part of somebody's, you know, somebody rich's family? You know, man, if I could just be in that family. <laughs> I had a guy that I, that I knew when I was in high school, and his, his family was pretty well off. We, everybody wanted to go to his house. Because he had a pool table, a ping pong table, a refrigerator full of soda, candy all over the place, cookies all over the place. Now, you named it, he had it. And we all wanted to be, you know, we all thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to be in his family? Now, I'm sure his family had lots of problems, but the idea is we're put into the family of God. All the goods are out there for us in his family. Because we're part of his family, we're adopted children. And you know adopted children cannot be disinherited? Even in our area, they cannot be disinherited when they're adopted. In the Roman, king, Roman and, and Greek times, they, they had special, they were almost better than a natural born child. It's a pretty powerful position to be in. All of the blessings, the spiritual blessings out there, his sanctification, his made into a child, being joint heirs with Christ, having the Holy Spirit given to us, being a new creation. So many blessings that we have, and most of us don't even begin to understand the blessings that we have. I want to encourage you, get into the scriptures, find these blessings. The, the paper that I have, if you want it, it's got a list and then five or six scriptures at the end of it to help you go through and see it. But I want to encourage you. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, get to know him. 
And I don't just mean, yeah, I, I believe there was a man named Jesus, I believe that he died, but really get to know him. You know, and what I like to talk about when I say get to know him, you know, nowadays we have caller ID so we know exactly who's calling us, but remember the days when you didn't have caller ID and you picked up the phone and said hello, and as soon as somebody talked to you, if you knew them, you knew who it was. How did you know them? They, you knew their voice, you knew them, you spoke with them. Remember when you were a kid and you're, and you're with other, other parents in the neighborhood and all of a sudden your mom called your name? You might not even heard your name, but you knew the voice of mom. You know, mothers who hear their babies crying in a nursery. You know, almost inevitably, they know which, which child is crying and it's their child. And you'll hear, you'll hear her crying in the nursery and you'll see all the mothers kind of perk up and then you'll see one get up. You know, she knows her child. We need to know God, intimately know him. He wants a relationship with us. And salvation is so simple. We just call, call out to God, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus came and died for my sins. Come into my life and, and be with me. Very simple. That's the gospel. When, you, when I say share the gospel, that's what you need to share. It takes like a minute and a half to share the gospel. Now, if you're going to interact and talk a little bit, it may take longer, but the gospel is a short sentence. We are sinners. We deserve punishment. Jesus paid the price, and we ask him to come into our hearts. If you haven't done it, ask him into your heart. Get to know him. We, we have a little booklet that we can give people to help them get started on learning how to walk with God. If you want to, to get that pamphlet, either, again, you can put a, the note in the, uh, in the back or even just talk to me directly, and I'll get the book to you. But we want people to get to know Christ. Because if I filled this whole church and had people in here that didn't know Christ, I'd be failing. I'd be failing. I'd have lots of people, but I'd be a total failure because I need people and want people to know Christ. Because that's what's important, getting to know Christ. Let's go and bow our heads and we will sing a couple of songs. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to hear your word and hear your gospel. Lord, if there's even one in here that doesn't know you, we ask that you put on their heart right now to ask you into their, into their heart. And Lord, if you put that on their heart, put, them, put it on their heart to share that. And we just thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.